Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Heartfelt Consciousness. And today I have my guest, Jackie Bonwell, mother, author, motivational speaker. And as she puts it on her website, now I didn't say this, a holy hot mess at times. Uh, So we have a nice conversation with Jackie lined up. So thanks again for listening. And I will talk to you guys on the other side. All right. Good afternoon, Jackie. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on today. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you have, we had some time in your schedule and everything to kind of set this up. And um, so I wanted to introduce you to the, to the listeners of the podcast. So I'll kind of give it a little background and then we can kind of lead into um, what we're going to talk about today. Um, so a few weeks ago, I um, had uh, just kind of on a whim and I had some free time on my hands and I also just kind of wanted to get some yoga Alliance uh, kind of uh, just some CEUs in, into my little vault there. Um, and I happened to see that your, um, your webinar was available and it happened to be a day that I had, didn't have a lot going on that afternoon. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just going to spend some time for myself. Um, also maybe going to learn a few things. And, um, so that's kind of actually where this whole story starts. So I attended your manifestation, uh, workshop that you had, um, plan for that day. And it was honestly the most inspirational thing I had heard in a while, because I was kind of feeling like, you know, how you just kind of get those stuck things every so often, you know, especially as yoga teachers, you know, we, we sometimes lose our spark. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I uh, first, I guess, saw you at least and heard you speak. Um, so based upon that, so beyond that, let's say, um, so I would love to hear more about your, how your yoga journey actually started and maybe kind of talk into um, like where, yeah, where that all began. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I still find it probably a little bit too funny that I am a yoga teacher because none of this was my primary language for so long. And I feel like I kind of got punched in the face by yoga uh, in a way that it was like a bell I could not possibly unring and had no choice but to start listening. Um, it became that prevalent in my life because um, my, my life prior to, you know, 17 years of teaching yoga now, you know, I was a social worker and that's what I went to school for. And and my mom's a social worker and my father was an undertaker. And, you know, my, my family's always kind of been very service based. So, um, I also grew up, um, I grew up Irish Catholic and uh, I always joke and say I'm a recovering Catholic, but that's just <laughs> running on massive amounts of, of guilt. But the biggest thing was, you know, I, I, I growing up Irish Catholic, that you, it's not really known for its mind body connection. So I feel like I had no connection from the neck down. Uh, it was better known as like shame, you know, so I didn't really understand that my body could be affected by what was going on, you know, upstairs in my mind. And I was always a thinker. <laughs> I have a PhD in thinking uh, and overthinking. And I had a, and, and then I, I went into jobs that kind of fed that. You know, so I went into, I come from kind of a, I come from a funny, but really hurried family that gives a sense of urgency to very small things, you know, and it's still a practice I have to work on. Mm 
they were always very loving, but not necessarily patient. (laughs) And so I always did things in a hurried way. I went into jobs that fed that. I went into working in domestic violence shelters and working for the state of mass and jobs that fed, um, you know, kind of where I was living, which was pretty much on simmer. Uh, And I ended up with pretty debilitating ulcers. My my role model, I guess, growing up, um, one of them was Mother Teresa, and I, I didn't actually really know that much about her when I when I was inspired by her. I just loved the idea that she was doing service at such a high volume, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And that she was this little woman who had you know been was established in 123 countries, and I just thought her reach was amazing, especially around that time. They didn't have social media or anything like that, but. Um, you know, not that she doesn't necessarily have her faults, but she was really inspiring to me in the service realm. But I don't really think that that's a great role model because she didn't really take care of herself. Like she just (laughs) served, which I was like, so I always think I felt like taking time for myself or doing something for myself was selfish. You know, I thought it was, um, I could be doing something for somebody else. I could be doing more. Why would I take time for myself? And a lot of that is my own negotiation with guilt, but you know, I, she was inspiring in the service realm, in the reach realm, but it was tiring and it's, the work is never done in social work. And I remember giving a presentation to a bunch of social workers because now sometimes I go into area offices in Massachusetts and I do a whole presentation on surviving social work and what I wished I knew as a worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember standing there one time and I just, I said something to them. And have you ever been talking and you feel like something that you say all of a sudden punches you in the face? And I, <laughs> and I was like, I said, the work is never done. Like the work is never done. So it's not like you have a good day, any day. The work is never done. There's always more you could be doing. There's always somebody you could be checking on. But, you know, at one point I was like, I was the legal guardian, the legal name on 14 children in the state of Massachusetts. I mean, that's insane. So I ended up with pretty debilitating ulcers, but I always did kind of like people. So I did belong to this gym Mm -hmm. uh, for like $9 a month. I was really overweight. I was on ulcer medication and I actually smoked cigarettes, but I was going to this aerobics class. um, And I think I just went because I liked the people and it was low impact, which went great with cigarettes. So I was like, this is great. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny you say that too, because even my my 20s and stuff, I was like, yeah, I'm a runner. And then like I would leave the gym and then light up a cigarette in the parking lot. It was kind of yeah. the same. Yeah. It, yeah. I totally can relate to that hundred percent. Well, I was, I was really grateful when I heard the quote that says for, for a balanced life, you need moments where there's no balance. I was like, okay, good thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but so, yeah, I just ended up, um, I ended up going to aerobics, uh, doing my low impact aerobics and like you, you know, having the cigarette after the gym and the, and the workout. But, um, one day I showed up on the wrong day and I showed up and it was this lady, I uh, showed up on the wrong day and it was the yoga day. And this lady showed up and I thought she was a newcomer to the aerobics class. And so I was like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. It's a great little group. You're going to love it. And she was like, I am here to teach yoga. And I was like, oh God, I was like, I am not here for that um, because it just wasn't really my thing. But she 
she looked at me so seriously, Laura, and I don't really know why, but she, it was really just divine uh, alignment probably, but she just looked at me so seriously and she was like, honestly, I think you should come to my yoga class. And she said it so like heartfelt and like she saw through me. And because I run on guilt, I was like, damn it, I do have the time. I am here for class. I can technically go, you know, so I did. And, uh, and I loved it. I was so removed from everything. Everything was quiet. There was like a little horn playing. I'm like, this is perfect. So I started going to her all the time. And I, at first it was really just an escape, I think, to just be with where it was quiet. And that escape kind of became addicting. I would go to yoga all the time, but there still was no crossover. I still was on also medication. Mm-hmm you know, I still was not like, um, it wasn't really making an impression. And it wasn't really until I took the course and began to study it that I started to see, oh, wait a minute, this is like a way of life from the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not like something I can just go and, and take a class. It, it, I think I inherently, because we're sophisticated by nature, I think I knew it, I needed help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it just kept pulling that out of me. And that's a good teacher. Yoga was a good teacher for me because a good teacher will ring the bell of what you already know, and then will pull it right out of you. And that's what this whole practice did. And I started to see that I am part of service because if there's no me, there's no service. Not, not, I'm not saying like, I'm the only one I'm saying, like, I started to see like the connection of, wait a minute, I am the vessel to be able to do this stuff. But if I don't fill my own cup up or I have no soft pillow to land or I'm always at maximum capacity, I'll do good work, but it's only going to be for like two or three years and Mm -hmm. then I'll be done, which is essentially what happened. I mean, I did it for like 20 years and now I've been teaching yoga for 17 years and I try to infuse social work in yoga. Um, And a lot of that is manifestation too, which I talked about that day. Like I see money as a cyclical thing. Like I only think I make it because I, because I purposely try to create ways to give and invest in society also. But I have to, like, even in a crashing plane, they're going to tell you, put your own mask on first. Yeah. Even if the thing's going down, they're like, oh no, no, you first. So I just never saw that. And, and yoga really pulled that need for longevity, because I've always lived like there's no tomorrow. And a lot of that is growing up in a funeral home environment, you know, that you're like, oh, geez, you could just go. So I think I lived with a sense of urgency, but I have to, I can't live every day. Like, like you can live every day, like it's your last, but it's not a good long-term plan. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I would agree with that. So, so that's awesome. That sounds like a, yeah, that sounds like an amazing journey. Um, So thinking about like when you maybe even first started teaching or maybe even now, and I think you actually might've talked to the, you kind of, um, I think you might actually have something on your website where you kind of, um, you know, we all battle with this, this limiting belief that, you know, that, that, you know, we're, as far as being a yoga teacher, you always feel like you're kind of like this imposter. Um, So where do you think that that stems from? Um, because I am an imposter. So I am. So traditionally, 
and there's all varying, you know, there's all variations of history, but this is very deeply steeped. Yoga is steeped. A lot of the language and the history of it is very steeped in Hinduism. Mm. Uh, and clearly, I am not Hindu. Um, and so I feel like I will always be an imposter teaching yoga as a white woman. Um, I feel like there's a lot of its roots I don't culturally have, and I try to honor that. Mm-hmm. I try to be traditional to yoga's roots of service and enlightenment, and at the same time, or that enlightenment is possible right now. You know, it doesn't have to be like a something that you just pine for for multiple lives, like you could actually just have it now. Um, but I try to do right by it with the understanding that I'll always be an imposter. And I think if we can just say that, we're going to get much further. If I can just say, I'm a white woman teaching yoga, which I know is definitely frowned on by some traditional Indian yogis. Um, I've been called unwoke. You know, I've been called, um, I've had, I had somebody tell me that when they see me, um, they feel it in their pain DNA, like really powerful things. And I don't feel um, defensive with that. I just feel like I need to be responsible with that in terms of saying, you know what, you're right. Because I, I am, I, I am. And it must be so annoying when America comes along and Americanizes uh, very cultural, very historical, very like area, maybe specific or even religious or spiritually specific things that must be so annoying. So I can't control, you know, the billions that, you know, the billion dollar industry that it has mm-hmm. become. But what I can do is I can say thank you to India and I can say thank you to Patanjali. Um, sometimes I get like I really am a huge fan of humor and lightheartedness. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes I think I just take it a little bit too far. And so I'm always (laughs) like, that's fine. Just call me on it. You know, um, I actually liked, um, you had an Instagram post the other day that had, um, uh, who's that coach of the Patriots that I can't remember his name. Uh, Belichick. (laughs) And he was wearing, and he was wearing the, the Bernie Sanders, uh, gloves or little mittens and sitting in his chair because, you know, Obviously, Brady's no longer with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely try to keep it lighthearted because, um, and I think that that can be annoying too. And I think the bottom line is that if I really sat here and was like, you know what, sometimes I can be an annoying imposter to the to the teachings of and the history and all of those who came before me in terms of yoga. I also um, see no line behind me you know, and I am doing my best to bring the true teachings of yoga um, to in in a language and in a way that I can help my area digest and understand these teachings. If I get too cryptic, if I get too religious, or if I get too Sanskrit, it will not work with my people. So I almost have to try to come in like ninja, like with the teachings, almost like blue collar sutras, you know, um, type of ninja approach, because if I don't, and I come in too strong with some of the chanting and the Sanskrit and the historical and the traditional stuff, nobody's going to listen. And the yoga sutras are like 196 life preservers. 
And when I get called out sometimes on appropriation, I just say, I hear you. I thank you for your grace. I'm always educating. Um, and I also am doing my best to help people just to survive. I think, you know, offering those kinds of things in that way uh, makes it more accessible, I think, to a lot of people that maybe aren't in it for maybe they just don't understand the all that all that, I guess, relig- not really religious, but um, maybe they don't understand all those things behind it. And this is where they're just starting at, where they're just starting at that place where the kind of where you and I both started. It was a physical thing. Um, and then they haven't quite dove in to, I don't know if that's even a word. Um, They haven't taken that time yet to kind of really look in, look in and and understand all that material. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I think that um, I I also think, you know, somebody was talking about um, in terms of social justice and cultural appropriation, and, and they were saying, why now? You know, like right now, it's really just rung everybody's bell. And why now? Why not last year? Why not the year before? Like this was still an issue then. Why not then? And it's like, because I think people are just trying to get life done and people are already at maximum capacity that it's not that they don't care. It's just that they're already at maximum capacity because life takes a lot of energy, no matter what race you are, especially the black and brown and the BIPOC. That is, that's a whole different set of stressors. And I feel like there's a lot of growth in, 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 in society trying to really understand and change that dynamic, though it clearly still is always going to need attention because I don't even see this stuff anymore as something I need to educate myself about. I just see this as a way of life. This is a way of life. This is the only lens that I see through. And I was saying that I think why now is because people actually had a, a little bit of breathing room because we were all in quarantine. The George Floyd incident happened. And then it was like a bell that nobody could unring, which is great, which was awful. And it was like what Brene Brown calls brutal, like it's equal brutal, equal beautiful, because you look at the awakening, the societal awakening that has come from it. And granted, it still needs to keep going. It can't just be something that we felt in 2020. You know, so I think that all I can really do is just Um, you know, sort of be a leader in the community for honoring yoga's roots and at the same time being proud of the way that some, that, that America and some great American teachers have really helped yoga to evolve Um, because some of the stuff I feel like if we tried to do some of the stuff that they were doing in India, you know, in 1960 for the society that we have now, I feel like it would be alignment wise kind of dangerous because we have a different society with different habits and patterns. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for things to evolve because you wouldn't want to text on a stone tablet. You know, nobody wants to sit and wait for like AOL, you know, as <laughs> David Vendetti always says, you know, so it, it's like nobody, things evolve for a reason. We're not Vikings anymore. Our lifespan is not 35 years anymore. It's like we're, we evolve for a reason. So I'm really proud of what, 
what in some aspects of what America has done with yoga in making it much smarter. Um, and and Indian teachers might be doing that also. I again, a lot of it is like bandwidth and time that there's. I don't have like all the time in the world to research what everybody's doing. So I'm I'm sure that there's amazing teachers in India bringing everything up to speed. I just know what's also being done here in America, and it's really good. So a lot of the times I say I teach American yoga that's steeped in, you know, ridiculous bow and understanding and knowledge and training on the lineage and the history of this practice. And I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to being educated. I don't feel defensive. I'm super ignorant about what it's like to be black or what it's like to be um, uh, to be Indian or to be Chinese. It's like I would love to hear of your experience, and I um, and I am I have the the. I feel like the world now has the breathing room and the bandwidth to really look at social justice and appropriation in a way that they didn't before because of the circumstances that we were in, because of the quarantine, and because of how heinous the George Floyd and multiple other ones, Breonna Taylor, you know, all of the ones that Black Lives Matter, you know, have rallied around and really shed light on in a really necessary way. Um, I mean, the violence is hard, you know, um, the the divide in America is really hard. I feel like we're living in a very, you know, sort of bipolar, like completely different poles society. And so I just believe in going one person at a time. And I feel like if I am coming from a place of love and compassion and empathy and service and respect and I have good morals, I have good ethical behavior that I'm doing right by the practice. So I might be an annoying imposter, I will always be, but I deeply love this practice and I will scream it from the mountaintops for the rest of my breaths. And if somebody doesn't like it, I am open to how I could always be more mindful. And I'm always doing that research myself. Yeah. So that kind of almost takes me to my um, next question. It kind of almost answers it too. So do you feel, uh, how do you feel you use those tools to kind of practice in your day-to-day life, like off the mat? Yeah. Well, I think it's one day at a time or one, one moment at a time. I feel like I wake up each day and I say, okay, how can I, how can I do God's work today? That's, that's something I've always asked myself. Um, and, you know, no, no, there's no specific agenda to that. That's w- whatever you think that is, you know, it's mm-hmm. deeply personal, but, and then I think, you know, what can I do to contribute to social justice today? You know, so I have a lot of things in motion in terms of social justice and appropriation. Um, when the when when the pandemic happened, um, I was in training with a dear teacher, Courtney Bell, and Courtney and Courtney wanted to put together a training for um, just um, Black Indigenous people of color, and so we ended up. Um, she didn't have her own 500 hours, so I donated my curriculum to her and did the lesson plan for her and. Um, I had to do some hours because it was my program, but um, I tried to go in as limited as possible so that it could really be a healing experience for um, 
for it and for it to feel like a private healing group. Um, and so we we had 17 um, by we had 17 black indigenous people of color and we um, did some amazing, amazing work um, in our time with them. And I feel like since then, a lot of it has been, you know, checking in on some of the projects that we got up and going when we were in that training or, um, you know, supporting in any way that I can for anything that anybody's doing. Um, you know, I Today, I have a girl coming over. She's going to be picking up um, some. I used to have a studio, so I have a bunch of like bolsters and mats and all that stuff. And she'll be taking them into um, some clinical and some traumatized populations and environments that are institutionalized because they're starting to let some of the teachers back into the prisons. Um, and into some of the hospitals and stuff. Not not a, not a ton, but they're starting to let some of them back in. So I try to each day make sure that I am supportive of the projects that are already in motion with regards to yoga. Um, yoga Reaches Out this past year was really mindful, um, which is a big fundraiser we do around here in Massachusetts to be mindful to spotlight and really um, celebrate um, our black teachers that are out there, our brown teachers that are out there, and to just really try to be a better representation, especially in the yoga world, um, of and just to, to be more diverse, um, to be more inclusive, and 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 really, I think to like be more welcoming, mm -hmm. because I remember at first I was like, okay, well, if you want like some truth, I was like, okay, this is going to be hard because we live in a, a predominantly white area. You know, so how are we going to, without looking like we're just trying to, you know, um, include anybody who is, has a skin color because we were just desperate to want to be inclusive. And so I was like, how do we, you know, how do we do this? Um, and, and, and what was interesting is that when that training happened, the one that was the private people of color around this area, 17 teachers signed up. Mm. So it was like, okay, it's not for lack of. Why are we not reaching across the aisle? What, yeah. or, or not not that there's an aisle, but like what why why aren't we, you know, why aren't we getting together a lot more often here? Why aren't we practicing together more? Why aren't we seeing each other in the community more? Or, or and you know, being in that training and realizing, you know, just how unwelcoming a lot of the yoga advertising can be. And a lot of the, you know, I, I've always been like a body positive teacher. I've always been a teacher that's on the thicker side and I've always been in it for the service. So I feel like I've been with multiple populations, very diverse when it comes to yoga, but the grand scheme of yoga, like Instagram and, you know, some of the other stuff, it does not feel always, it, it hasn't always felt inclusive and it hasn't always felt like it's a fair representation. And so it's not for lack of, it's just for not, we're not getting together. And I, I struggle sometimes too right now, because I feel like I'm seeing a lot of like, not that I struggle. So I'm not struggling. I, I, sh I don't really know how to word it. So forgive me for my wording. Maybe yeah. you can help me. Help me, you can help me. <laughs> but I feel like right now, one of the bigger things is a lot of um, BIPOC specific stuff. And I want that. I, I want that because there needs to be healing in that area. And you and you want to be, you know, held by your your people, especially when, when you're going through something to this magnitude. So I get that. But it's like, in order for us to really unite, we have to do stuff together. I just think, honestly, for 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 Black and Indigenous people of color at this point, I really think a lot of it is too late. 
And they're like, no, we're going to just go over here and talk to each other because we don't have the bandwidth to educate all of you. We just don't. You should you should got a long time ago. So I get that aspect, too. And at the same time, like it's the only way it's going to get done. So how I do it, I, I feel like it's like guerrilla heart fair. Like I go person to person, like door to door. I just go person to person. And in my circles in my life and, you know, I, if social justice comes in or there's an opportunity to sort of go there, then I, I go there um, and just try to bring, I try to bring in a much more, you know, inclusive language and celebration um, of, I mean, my, 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 the teacher who I am, I love Rolf Gates, you know, he's been a champion for, um, the colored community for a very long time. Um, and he has, you know, he has really upped his ante lately too. And I learned a lot from him just, and I've learned a lot from him since 2004. Um, you know, so I feel like we're all in this great awakening and I'm part of that too. And I think we're all trying to bring things way more up to speed. I think we're all awake, I guess, like being woke or unwoke. There's actually something to that. Um, but I just don't think we had the breathing room to even see because we've all been at maximum capacity because 99% of all illness that used to be the statistic a few years ago, it's got 75 to 90% now, but it used to be that 99% of all illness is stress related. You know, so people are friggin' stressed and it's like, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm focused on my thing. And then I can't like, you know, I, don't, I can't, I cannot, like, if I look at all the homeless on the Boston common, I can't take that on. If I look at systematic racism, I can't take that. I'll just love everybody and do a loving kindness prayer and then go to bed and just try to survive tomorrow. You know, it's like, that's yeah. not enough. So it's it just that. making it more of a way of life and yeah. bring it, bringing it into the limelight. So kind of speaking of uh, to stress, you know, obviously we, we've effectively had a lot of it um, to deal with over the last year almost now. Um, so what was one of the most valuable lessons you think you learned during this pandemic? Hmm. I mean, definitely that uncertainty is always going to be an ingredient um, you know, and, and I think what was, I think what was amazing about it is it was like a universal lesson. Everybody kind of got it at the same time, but, you know, I think definitely people had the chance to evaluate the pace that they were going at. I mean, I go here, there, and everywhere. I, I travel all over New England and, um, sometimes Pennsylvania. And I had started to do branch out a little bit more and doing some a seminar in Las Vegas and, um, just kind of going around to different places. And that's not obviously happening anymore. And everything has been, um, online and I like calculators and whiteout and typewriters. So all of this is like a foreign language to me. So it's been a huge learning curve, definitely for my generation. We're like eighties babies, um, trying to catch up, you know, with going from flip phone to zoom and bandwidth in Google storage and all this other stuff. So it's definitely been a huge learning curve. And I usually, I, I've always said, I always have this analogy where I'm like, look, 
If you eat bananas all the time, you know, they're great for you, but then you eat a mango and your body's like, oh my God, you know, it's something totally different, you know, and you start to grow because it's totally different and you have a different reaction because it's totally different. So I think definitely my brain has woken up in a way that it was not awake um, when it comes to technology, social justice, and, and everything else under the sun, I feel like. So it's definitely taken me well out of my comfort zone. And definitely um, also, I think in a weird way, even though it's really hard for me, like I lost my job, my husband lost his job, like everybody around me has had a gazillion things happening. People have died in my family and, you know, I'm sharing in that universal stress. Um, But I think it's also kind of amazing that a lot of the stuff we had said we would never make it. Like I would never make it to the other side of that. Oh God, I cannot do this. Like look how much that everybody has made it to the other side and has adapted and has switched, you know, even though it's been uncomfortable and we've been cranky with it at times, you know, how adaptable human beings are. I mean, we're amazing. We're amazing. And, you know, we, we're, We just, I feel like even though, again, you know, cranky and uncomfortable at times, we have really evolved like restaurants evolving into this whole takeout operation, um, you know, and, you know, people trying to get crafty in the different ways that they do things. And it's just kind of pushed us all to grow, I think, in ways that we've never asked for. And I thank God that I had some type of spiritual practice to believe that closed doors and when things change, you just want to yell plot twist <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> keep going, you know, um, you know, so I just, I feel like it's asked me to be incredibly uncomfortable. It's asked me to be incredibly humble. It's asked me to reevaluate the speed at which I go with. And it's asked me to put my attention in other areas where it wasn't because the hustle and bustle of life was, was a lot. Yeah, I feel it like, is. I, I definitely feel like a lot of people have gone through that. Definitely for sure. Well, yeah. that is a wrap lady. Um, so thank you again so much for your time and energy today. And just speaking to the listeners, speaking to me, um, it was, this was awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it too. Anytime that we can use our community too to just kind of spread the good word and and stay connected to each other is a really big deal. So anybody listening, don't you worry. The other side of any stressors or anything is not that far. Thank All right. you. All right, thank you so much. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Heart Kill Consciousness with Jackie. Again, thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.